Welcome to the pod, everyone. Bit of a, a shout out to SGS, who uh, myself and Fletcher are going to do a little bit of work with. Um, hopefully, make it the uh, most uh, innovative, uh, impactful, effective coaching qualification in the country, industry ready, um, experiential, backed up with all the science and the evidence stuff. Um, and just a brief word from them beforehand. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Cool, Rusty, live on the pod with Benjamin Pegner, aka Ben Pegner. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for asking. Um, uh, well, as I said, I'm a little bit. Uh, I think we both agreed that our lives have just morphed into every day feels like the same day, and we haven't compartmentalised them well enough. But uh, aside from that, I'm okay. Yeah. And how's uh, uh, how's that been for the Pegner family? What's what's been going down? Yeah, it's been good. Uh, it's been it's been enjoyable. It's. Um, yeah, I think similar to a lot of people trying to balance uh, homeschooling. I'm still working as well, so I'm still doing the day job. So trying to um, combine that with working around the, uh, you know, with the um, the three kids. Daniel, the youngest, went back to school actually yesterday. So he's in year one, so he's gone back. Um, so yeah, he's it's it's down to two now. <laughs> so a bit easier, but um, yeah, it's been good. It's been good, a bit of learning, um, catching up with people. But then, yeah, was also doing the day job. Cool. We'll definitely pick up on what you've been learning over the lockdown period. Do you want to give people a kind of potted history of of what got you to where you are today? What's been your kind of sporting interactions? Yeah, I I um I played. I was a pretty limited player. I always loved the idea of analysing games, thinking about the game. I always loved sport, and I grew up in um, the sporting environment. Wanted to play sport uh, all the time. I was always aware and interested in learning um, and how I learned. You know, so I I was really um, had to learn experientially. Really didn't like being inside a classroom. Um, and then when I left school, I went to play rugby in New Zealand. I always wanted a I was a back row forward, so I was, you know, wanted to sort of uh, learn from guys like Michael Jones and Paul Henderson, all these sort of legends of New Zealand rugby. So I took myself off there um, and played there. Came back to the UK for for uni and stuff like that, and then went full time with the, with the game and actually played full and part time. Travelled. I, I enjoyed playing. You know, I moved a lot. I wasn't really good enough to to play week in week out in first teams at the top so um, always sort of enjoyed learning from the different coaches and sort of trying to learn stuff from everywhere I went and then I was always coaching schools and stuff like that wherever I played um, uh, from leaving from leaving school I went back the next year and started coaching at my old school um, so that was always something I always loved doing and um, and then I've just carried on the coaching since stopping playing and um, yeah, I love it. It's not my main job anymore. I've, for the last uh, six years, I've I've got a day job, a proper job in the business world, um, and then a coach as a you know when I can, as and when I can around that, both with my local team, my my local junior team uh, in Twickenham, uh, Tamesians, 
and um and then you know when i get asked to do some consulting so been doing some stuff with the wiu for the last year um and then yeah in, in between the last 10 years or so prior to that i prior to that 2014 i was with wasps academy london scottish academy england sevens for a bit um and then uh, doing some other bits and pieces so yeah a bit, bit varied nice what were your best memories of, of being a um probably a bit like well a journeyman rugby player who jumped in and out of teams and didn't necessarily yeah. play first team played second team what's the what were the best memories it's, it's all you know what it's probably the same as everybody else it's, it's what you know, the people you meet isn't it and that you know you've got some good memories of places um you know those early days of professionalism in inverted commas weren't you know we, we did contact pretty much every day that you know and it was a bit of a slugfest and as as not the biggest guy that wasn't particularly it was challenging and enjoyable for what it was but it wasn't you know very fulfilling um so the the best memories are you know playing in south africa for three years that that was awesome you know um getting to play at places like ellis park or, or loftus um but just remember the change rooms afterwards you know that type of thing and uh um yeah the stuff like that that was that was good um funny stories around that and yeah working in the forestry in New Zealand when I was 18 playing there and working in the forestry down in the South Island in Southland stuff like that just just you know good good memories and meeting some awesome people and just learning from all those different people along the way. Nice who who were the coaches that had impact on you who were the ones that were memorable and impactful? Throughout the whole time? Yeah over history. Oh yeah I was I was thinking this because I knew you'd ask me this. <laughs> Um, mate, uh, Alan Zonder was was a good one. You know, he was my coach at London Scottish, and then I went with him to um, Saracens briefly. So Alan Zonder was uh, quite un-South African in many ways, and, and he was um, wasn't just about sort of the physical domination and the attritional battle, but he, he he knew there were different ways of exploiting space and different ways of winning. Um, and that was on the, my my journey that he got me thinking. You know, um, and then coaches in South Africa I think it's, it's funny because I remember making journals of different you know each place I went um, and I think quite often you remember what you don't like more than what you do like and you, you start thinking when I'm when I'm doing this I'm not going to do that or I'm not going to do this you know um, so Alan Zonda was one I was briefly at Wasps um, so just working you know in the environment with Sean Edwards for example that was impactful um, had a brief, uh, I went to Dubai with the Sevens and uh, I was in the B team and um, Jim Malander was was taking us, you know, so that at the time, um, which was brilliant, you know, Jim, lovely guy, really, he was just, even a short space of time working with someone like that, quite impactful. Um, they're, they're the guys that most people will know, I suppose, but there's a load of others, obviously, who are, you know, school teachers and stuff like that. The first couple of guys who, who really um, introduced me to the game, who who were really impactful. Um, Pat Thomas, um, big scary man at school, first sort of school schoolboy under under thirteen, or under twelve um, teacher. He was my geography teacher, um, and he was uh, my first coach. You know, and he was he was I was scared of him. Uh, I think we all were, but he was brilliant. When I, and actually, he's the guy that I went when I left school. I went back and coached with. I just I, I love working with him. He was such a good guy. Um, he was an economics teacher as well. <laughs> Good lad. So, uh, <laughs> and he had a, and he had a big beard as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, what, did you about, what did you notice about Sean Edwards when you got to hang with him? Because 
he'll get some pretty decent raps, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would. Yeah, I think the thing that people don't realise with Sean is he's he's very emotionally intelligent. So it's very easy to just see sort of an angry that you know the press will take a photo of him, you know, shouting at somebody, and that still picture will you know it will instill fear, you know, and and he'll be easily summarised as somebody who just shouts and. Um, but he's really cerebral. He'll he'll be thinking a lot. He thinks and analyzes the game. Just a small thing. I remember as 2006, seven, um, nearly every day as part of the warm up. We used to do like this three four man drill um, where we used to make breakdown decisions for five minutes. And it wasn't for you know for smash, but it was something that no other team I don't think was doing at that time. But he, he it was quite pretty simple, and you spoke to him about it. it was like, well, you, there's going to be maybe 100 tackles by each team. There's going to be maybe 200 breakdowns, tackle areas. This is the skill. This decision making here is going to be central to everything you do. So, as a proportion of your time, it's it's really important that we do it, even if it's not full full metal jacket. You know, it wasn't bish bash bosh, but it was just about the decision making. And that was I don't think people really, you know, he was easily labelled as a defence coach and. Um, the other, so emotionally intelligent and sort of a good thinker. The other thing, though, definitely is, um, and I've reflected on this recently because I've gone, you know, as we do, we go on this journey of coaching where you maybe start doing everything that you were taught or coached. Then you might become more um, empowering or games-based. And then you might, it goes more from the science, more to an art. And then you merge the two or you might, you know, go full circle. Sean's drill was the same. He was doing the same drills, I think, in 2006, seven, when, when uh, he was coaching me, as he is now, I think. Some of the same basic things, in, you know, and you see him coaching in France now. He's not reinventing the wheel necessarily. Even though he's learning French with limited French, he's still getting that message across and you can see the impact immediately, immediately with the defence. So, point of reflection there, he's, he does some simple things really well. He doesn't talk for hours. Um, and he just conveys a message very, very quickly with some simple things. And I think a lot of coaches just complicate it unnecessarily. So, yeah, a really interesting guy. Yeah, I mean, coaching in a foreign language would be a good uh, challenge for for most of us, I would imagine. What um, when, when you talk about, like, coaching journey, Len, I mean, what's that been like for you? What's... Do you, is it something that you're going, well, I used to do this and now I do this and I realise this? What have been the kind of, I guess, A, what's that journey look like? B, what's, um, what have been the two or three seminal moments? Like either ouch moments or like, ah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, it's a good question. It's, it's, a, it's a hard, it's a broad question because there's so much, you know. So I started doing, you know, um, being quite interested in the defence, as you know, and doing that and sort of collisions as I sort of ended and was a player coach, which, which was challenging. Um, I, when I've coached overseas, I found it, you know, it's always different in different environments. So it was really interesting hearing you talk to Scott Robertson the other day um, because I, I, it makes me wonder what, you know, what could be transferable in a different culture here with a different mindset, with the players, with different knowledge, intellectual property, et cetera, you know, different um, role models. The, the, the seminal moments, I, I guess, um, oh, it's, that's challenging. Uh, working, you know, we, we worked together with England, didn't we? And uh, that was interesting. I, I, there's a lot of things I took, took from that. I was the analyst, but having never done that as a role before, um, I was a coach wearing an analyst's hat. So, quite 
you know, I took a lot from that. Um, I think the journey has been one of a bit meandering. I don't think, you know, it's that classic example, you know, it's never a straight line. That's what I've learned in the last couple of years. You can't really plan it. You just got to embrace where you are. Um, I've just tried to embrace every opportunity. I think it gets complicated quite a lot um, unnecessarily. Um, I think as coaches, when you break it down, especially maybe, um, well, at all levels of the game, you know, a lot of the people who are actually um, spending time with, with the players aren't the coaches. So, so it's the, you know, um, some people might call them cultural architects, but guys like the physios and the S&C guys, um, it's less about the technical stuff. It's less about the science. It's more about the uh, environment and um, the vibe that's created. And I guess that's been a big learning for me. But in terms of the journey, I, I don't know, to be honest. It's, it's been, you know, a bit of it's hodgepodge, really. It wasn't planned. It was, uh, it was uh, working um, with England with yourself and, and Ben Ryan um, and then having an opportunity to go back to Wasps with, you know, as an academy coach. Um, in terms of an ouch moment, leaving there, Chris Lloyd, I was working with there, good guy, Lloydy, good coach. He'd got me involved. Um, we'd, we'd brought through, um, or I, I, I had a tiny role, but he, him and some of the other guys, like Rob Smith, had done a really good job bringing guys through, identifying them and the scores. You know what it's like with the system, but guys like Ben Obano and um, Will Stewart, Tom West, Jack, Jack Willis, Gus Jones, um, some, some good players. Um, and then I left there in 2014. Um, they, you know, for whatever reason, they, they said, OK, we're going in a different direction. Chris Lloyd is going. Um, and the academy wasn't really a focus, to be honest with you. The academy wasn't a priority. Um, you know, they were bringing in signing guys, everybody in, in the past six years. They've signed everybody from, you know, Charles Pieter, Frank Calai, um, all those guys, Curtly Beal. So developing young players, or George Smith, for example, Developing young players wasn't a priority, and that was quite disheartening, I guess. So leaving the academy there, um, when we were bringing some good guys through, like guys like Alec Hepburn never got looked at, um, Tommaso Allen, um, they were all within that that you know the our sphere. Um, so that was pretty disheartening, I guess, seeing a system that wasn't really helping the individual um, and wasn't um, willing to give them opportunities. Um, so that was a big ouch moment, I guess. And then since then, I've been coaching as a consultant, so um, which has been fun, which has been good. Uh, seeing a lot of different people, how they do things, and that's not just in one area of the game. That's sort of every every area. Um, and then also, sorry, sorry, man, long answer, but Pierre Volpre in the last six years, meeting him about six seven years ago, he's been influential. So that's been a big part of the journey. Um, and Lynn. Um, Lynn Evans alongside him, yeah. Yeah, they get a good shout out. Have you been over to France and spent time with them? Have you had the Plaisir de Movement stuff or caught up with them over? Yeah. That was my attempt at French. I love the way you smiled at my terrible French accent. I, I Mate, it was good. appreciate that feedback. It's my, uh, it my level French coming back to haunt me. Oh, mate, it was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, but basically what happened was in 2014, I was still with Wasps with the Academy and I was, I was, that period of time I just explained and I thought that there must be more to, to what we're doing than, than this now. It can't be a case of like, we're just going to do this drill for defence, this drill for attack, everything compartmentalised. The s &C guy goes there and does that. They do like this gym programme, there must be more. So I started reading up and trying to work out more and I stumbled across some writing by Lynn Evans. Um, 
and so I, I, I and then funny enough the sort of short space of time afterwards I was at a training day with the academies and bumped into Lynn Kevin Bowering had invited Lynn along and uh, just got chatting to Lynn I just went up to him in one of the breaks and said I was just reading this about you um, and uh, he, you know we formed a friendship and he invited me over to meet Pierre so I went over um, and then, yeah, most summers for the last six years, I've been going and, and, and hanging out with them and spending a bit of time with them and learning how they did things, um, which was which was really, you know, um, as I said before, change, you know, sort of life changing in a, in, in a big way. In what way? What's the one, two, three things that they're doing really well? Uh, <clears throat> primarily. Pierre, as, uh, I think, as you know, uh, he, he's got a global approach. So it's, it's the complete opposite of compartmentalizing. And when you look at it and when people talk about modern skill acquisition theory and all these things, he's been doing that for like the last 40 plus years. But he just wasn't calling it that, you know. So he's just got this global approach. And also people talk about tactical periodization now. He's been running that, that with this global approach. So he will train the tactical, the technical, the physical, the mental all at the same time on the field so that's the that's the first thing just how he would do that and how players then learn from you know, he describes the complexity of the game um, and then some very basic things how, how to do what's appropriate at the time how to um, and then that's all to do with space and uh, movement and, and everything like that so that's been I guess when you you know what it's like when you in if you're in the UK and you're exposed to a certain amount of coaches, it becomes a bit self-fulfilling. These coaches have just been playing the game. They've just learned this from this coach, so they then espouse this view, and it's actually they're just reinforcing what they you know the idea of maybe four or five guys. So suddenly you go outside and you realise that well actually when Wayne Smith was playing in Italy as a player coach, he was really exposed to Pierre Vulpro and these other guys. And it's where he took a lot of his ideas on uh, from, you know. And so, that, yeah, with Pierre, it's that global approach. It's that awareness of space, how to utilise it, pay people's movement and and that type of uh, type of stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think it's something, I mean, you, you, you touched on there. I mean, we're working a bit with, uh, <clears throat> and I won't mention the name of a premiership coach who's just uses the word, I've been socialised into this. So, actually, I, I haven't been kind of coach decision-making, I've just been coached how to fulfil a system. What, I mean, what's your view on that? Where are you, where do you sit? What are the solutions for, because the reality is that, you know, if you're a, a multi-cap international and you retire, then a club's probably going to kind of give you a, give you some kind of coaching function within their team. And um, what, what, are you, what are your views on it? Uh, what are the solutions to it? Yeah, I think I think the individual can be trained. I think the individuals who who they they want to every every top player wants to get better, don't they? They you know I, they don't want to amble along. They've either got their own personal goals, they might be selfish goals, but they've got personal goals and they want to get better. Most people, the nature of the beast is they want to challenge themselves. They want to keep learning. They want to develop. So I, I, I have you seen the systems here and in a lot of places? I'd argue that a lot of them aren't equipped to help the individual improve the only way the individual improves are by exposure through games so once they've played 60 games they get better because they make enough decisions in those games if they get injured or if in like the UK maybe there's a priority of you know um, physical and athletic development that 
you know, and it's a nutritional type of league, that means that might they might get injured and it breaks down that development time, you know, because that might become three years worth of development time. But you can expedite that by giving guys opportunities to develop and think more in training. And I, and there's ways you can do that. There's not just, you know, with all the games-based approach and all that type of stuff. I, I just think specifically you can come up with an action plan for an individual and say, right, what, what do you need to do better? What what are you actually getting an opportunity to practice that in a real situation during the week? And I think too many times they're not. So you know, if you're if you're making line breaks, you'll say, oh yeah, but we you won't see a coach and I say, yeah, but we do drills when we do this drill, and they'll set up an artificial drill where this guy runs from here, and then he'll do a two versus one. You know, but that's never the that's never really replicated like that in a match. So it's about creating scenarios where you can do that in training but actually the individual having a plan of what they can do you know um yeah so. it's an interesting fact they looked at uh, one another prem club apologies i'm not going to name it but they had a third choice scrum half and that scrum half would spend nine nine minutes a week being a scrum half be filling in on the wing and so miss those opportunities to make decisions around being a nine i i, I want to delve more into though the kind of the ex-player becoming a coach. So that process, you know, yeah. I guess maybe from your experiences and, and being in lots of environments, what have you noticed about that process? Uh, where's it done well? What are the, what are the solutions to it? Cause it is a reality. Yeah, it is a reality, I guess. And um, there's, there's some guys who've got immense knowledge, haven't they? And it's just, I think learning, I, I think people, like I spoke about before, they, you know, we've talked about in the past where, guys know the how um, or, or they know they, they don't know how to convey the message necessarily or they don't know when to convey the message or they're not necessarily emotionally intelligent or they've been an amazing player but they've thought about themselves for the last 15 years you know their role what can I do and that's not prepared them for any of the other bigger pitches where you're worrying about managing sideways up etc you know dealing with all these other um, external factors and variables in in terms of development, I think yeah, it's it's a case of going okay. Well, we need to start, you know, you know, maybe the academy or school level working out how to coach, um, not just just what, um, and then not just passing on a system or a shape that um, that I learned or that we used, you know. So for example, I remember getting told at Wasps we we couldn't some of the players who were knocking on the door, good good players, England under twenty players. Um, you know, standout England under 20 players knocking on the door of the first team and being told that they weren't allowed to train with the first team because they didn't know the shape. That So I, I, I remember if I had hair, I would have been pulling it out because I was thinking, well, how are they going to learn and improve if they're not in that environment with better players? Um, and, but also if, if, if the shape, you know, and it wasn't, if that limits... Yeah, you know, you can see where I'm going. It just didn't make any sense um, for me. It wasn't developing guys. So I don't know if I've answered I think it would take a bit to learn shape. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an area where um, we struggle to do stuff well, would be my view, like the transition between environments, be it school and academy. It's, it's getting better, don't get me wrong. And, and and academy in the first team, the best clubs do really good transitions for their players. And yeah, and they definitely expect so, their players to to playing with the first team or, or hanging out with them or having lunch with them yeah. or whatever it might be. I mean, Fletcher's on a, a Zoom call in a second with uh, with one of the Irish provinces with 
with Owen Farrell and some of their fly halves. I mean, that's 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 good transition. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think I answered your question about the coaches. I I don't know the best way of developing those coaches. I think the you know it's done well. You know Guardiola, he he coached for one year with his B team with the Barcelona B team, and then he went in and in his first. The very next year, he coached the first team, and they won three trophies, and they won the Champions League in his first year. You know, so I think we can, you know, say okay, that guy, you know, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be fast tracked. But then there's some exceptional people, aren't there? And they're not necessarily the norm. But I guess it's just upskilling those guys and giving them good exposure. Who's helped you with your journey? So who's been your? I know we chatted earlier about maybe not the word mentors or. Who do, you, who, who do you chat a lot to about coaching? I, uh, it, yeah, I, I try and I've actually, um, it's a few people and it's people outside sport as well or outside sport and it's people outside uh, rugby as well. So I'll, I'll, I was lucky, I was fortunate to um, 2007, 2009 as my plane was winding down, I, I worked um, alongside Chelsea Football Club for, for two and a half years um, and I was in a non-football role um, but in a non-coaching role, but I was fortunate to get some exposure. It was Mourinho's first stint, you know, um, and I was fortunate enough to get exposure to everything he did, the guided discovery, the tactical periodization, how he handled people, you know, his, his demeanour. Um, and I, 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 you know, I've stayed in touch with a lot of the guys who were the academy coaches at that time who are now working throughout the club and in other clubs. So, from a football point of view, I chat to guys like that and ask them what they're doing, you know, have they moved away from this idea, both from a tactical, um, physiological, tactical periodization, things like how they integrate in their training, both, you know, in terms of um, how they manage load, all that type of stuff. So I'll speak to guys like uh, Chris Jones at Chelsea. Um, he, he's a really good guy. He's one of um, Frank Lampard's assistants. Um, John Mitchell, I've got to know in the last couple of years, the England assistant coach. Um, he's uh, yeah. We don't. I chat with him quite often. He's he's been brilliant the last few years. Um, just a humble guy who's always asking questions. Always, um, you know, a great example of a guy who's continually learning, growth mindset. Um, who has probably reinvented himself, um, but <clears throat> in genuinely and an authentic way. Um, but you know, he was coaching the All Blacks at the age of forty-one or something like that. So just immense knowledge but incredibly humble um, with it. So he's a great example, keeps, keeps you level, you know. Um, loads of other guys like Lynn Evans, who I mentioned before, um, Dave Vessels in, uh, over at the Melbourne Rebels. I'll, I'll speak to him often and just bounce ideas off him. Normally guys from all over the place, guys from um, uh, even, you know, like physiological, um, like uh, Wayne Diesel I reached out to recently in, in the US. Um, he's at the Houston Rockets. Guys, uh, guys like that, you know, just uh, was he at the Spurs? <laughs> big, big difference. <laughs> he might be at the Spurs, but just guys, guys like that, you know, and just try and get, you know, get what I can from different people and and just see where I'm at. When you say John Mitchell's reinvented himself, what are you, what are you thinking about? Well, yeah, yeah it's probably I didn't know Mitch before, so it's probably. Um, I know him now, and he's a, he's a, he's he's genuinely um, he's one of those humble guys. He'll ask genuinely humble, and I'm you meet you know what it's like. You meet a lot of guys who um, they they're not very authentic. They're one way, you know, in public, and another way in private. He, he is the same everywhere. Um, 
and so that, that's genuine i'm not sure what he was like before you know you you i think he was very um driven and very serious and and i can relate to a lot of those things in terms of coaching when i started so um probably he's he's, he's realized you know actually there's more ways to skin around you know to, to to get to make solve this problem and it's about taking people on their journey and incorporating everybody so probably from that point of view but he's he's just a he's a great guy great learner always thinking about the game, always looking outside, always willing to chat to somebody and learn from somebody else, not not one of these guys who knows everything. So, um, really interesting guy. Yeah, I, well, my view is, and, and, and there definitely should be more ways than one to skin a rat. I'm going to start calling it to skin a rat. I'm enjoying that. I, do, I think I was going to say rabbit, wasn't I? And then I was like, rat. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the story the story goes, doesn't it, that uh, he, uh, he sent 2,500 letters to the people he'd, clashed with a bit asking for feedback on how he could be a better human being it's the the most extreme form of uh, annual pdr known to man <laughs> and got something like 21 responses and and he's and he's and he's a remark i mean it's a remarkable difference really i mean he went from and i didn't know that so 41 is young eddie said eddie started coaching internationally 41 and he said that was too young um yeah so yeah, I, I mean, you understand yourself. It would be, you know, you're still learning about yourself at, at those type of ages, quite frankly. Yeah, and I'm sure probably Mitch will be one of the. He'll be the first to say that as well. And he was. He'd already coached internationally. I think he'd already coached two sides. He'd, he'd. I think he'd already done the forwards with Ireland, um, and also obviously helped with England. That was before getting the All Black job. So I think 2003 World Cup. He was about 41, something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, incredibly young, and he, he, I think he'd be the first to say, yeah, probably I needed to get more miles under, you know, uh, just learn a bit more about myself and before I knew, um, yeah, before I knew how to do the main job. What uh, What was your time like with England Sevens? What do you remember? If I remember, I think we were roommates in Glasgow. <laughs> I, do, I have a terrible memory, though. You'll have to jog me on uh, what it was like. Maybe in London as well. I can't remember. So yeah, long ago. No, it, yeah, it was it was interesting. I um, yeah, uh, it's one of those ones where you struggle to understand a lot of it when you reflect back because you could tick a lot of boxes. You know, we were doing. I remember we were so professional. You know, so you compare. Have you seen any of the Razi Erasmus um, videos recently? You know, coming out pre the World Cup about environment and stuff. So you can just look at that and. They're obviously doing some technical stuff and they're looking at the science, they're looking at the sports science, they're looking at volume of training and accelerations and all that type of, you know, stuff. And they're looking at the intricate details of how they're going to play people. But fundamentally, that culture, and that's often, you know, thrown around word, but that environment that he's created and that they've created where everybody wants to play for each other is it just goes to show you how important that is because I think at that top level, as you know, so many things are even. So if you can get 15 or 23 or 30 or 40 guys completely on the same page, completely pulling in the same direction, completely with the same focus and uh, it's amazing. It's powerful. And so when I reflect on England sevens time, we had everything, didn't we? You know, we had a sprint coach, we had, um, the guys with deficient, I remember the guys we did was testing them for vitamin D deficiencies and stuff like that. And, you know, with saliva testing and they had zinc lozenges before they got on planes and, you know, sleep 
you know, prepar- you know, we had protocols and we had stuff that people and some people aren't even doing now, you know, or maybe they do for super rugby, you know, sleep pro- protocols. And w- so we were ticking every box, but I wouldn't, you know, we weren't the All Blacks, the, the New Zealand were still the best team, weren't they? You know, and, or, you know, and we were competitive, but we weren't ripping up trees. So you go ask yourself, actually, what, what's more important? You know, what, what is actually more important? If you, got, you, got, you had 12 guys in the ring who would fight for each other um, and do anything for each other, it would that be and sort of less emphasis on the science and everything like that? Would we have been better? Would we have been more successful? So I think that and a lot of the detail around that and why we weren't more cohesive is, um, which probably is a different conversation, is, is, uh, is, is my main reflection point on that period. What about you? Yeah, probably similar, really. I mean, we were we were quite Google Xy, so there'd be a lot of kind of stuff going on. Um, I was, you know, I look back and God, it seems like a lifetime ago. I mean, I would love to coach it again now. I'd be so much better. How good would that be? Um, would you? What would you do differently now? I'd just be better at everything, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah I think I would uh, yeah and I think it would be yeah one of the challenges was always like probably for me would be the uh, just the management team being a little bit more cohesive at times would be my view being similarly minded I would have um, yeah but but, I mean we don't get to change that time again do we I think we definitely developed from from when you were around and you know the, the right kind of people so you know, the Crackers and the Jeff Williams and, the, you know, some people that put those type of things first. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it seems like a lifetime uh, to me, to be honest. That's the, that's the bit I've been having as good a memory as you, clearly. I remember, I think we lost, uh, maybe, we, did you come to Glasgow with us? Did we lose in the final to the Kiwis in Glasgow? South Africa? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we. I, I was there. Um, right. I can't remember. It's so small. I mean, sevens is the ultimate kind of magnifying glass, isn't it? So if something isn't quite right, then then it doesn't yes, get because yeah, it's fine, fine margins. And when you look back, you know, it's no disgrace because when when you look back, I do remember that New Zealand team, and I've I've reflected on it a lot because you know you, I was actually going through some footage the other day of uh, who was in the New Zealand actually, team. Did you, you remember the New Zealand team? Yeah, who was it? No, I, I remember it. I remember it really well. Like it, mate, it was Charles Piertau, Frank Halley, um, DJ Forbes, Mickelson, um, Solomon King. It was, it was uh, some good boys. Yeah, no, it was, um, no, it was Saki Naholo. Oh. He was in it as well. So you had Naholo, you had Piertau, you had Halley. Um, oh, mate, how can I? Ardi Surveyor. He was an 18-year-old. Him yeah, and DJ uh, Forbes. The pa- maybe, the we pack need, was- maybe we needed more zinc lozenges. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still stressed thinking about, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was, I guess, the challenge. Then, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so how many, I don't know even if we'd hit our, like, you know, our, our 100%, we'd fulfilled our potential. I remember that pack. It was um, Solomon King, DJ Forbes, and Ardi Sever. You know, you know, and and DJ, Ardi, Ardi Sever was incredible you know he was you thought oh this guy's he was 18 and I remember I remember seeing them you know uh, when we were ch- crossing over that you obviously don't remember because you seem to have 
Mate, I remember crossing over, leaving the swimming pool in the morning after recovery when they're coming in or vice versa. I can't remember who. And you see them and it was pretty much men against boys. It, it was different level, you know, both from a physical point of view. And I think the guys were probably, there was a bit of an aura around them as well, wasn't there? Yeah, they were, they were good. They were on some reasonable winning streaks. They were yeah. outstandingly fit. So I know that we put a big emphasis on our fitness and um, they would score a lot of tries with the kind of a minute to play in the first half or, you know, 30 seconds to go in the second half. Uh, they, yeah. were, they were pretty cohesive. I think partly because they were really, and sometimes I felt like they'd, some of the way Titch coached the men that they had to bond together as a team yeah, uh, to actually deal with some of it. So, And also, was, I think, I think um, you know, as an 18-year-old coming in in the UK, would we be as welcoming to someone like Ardi Saver? He was, he was welcoming. To, he, was, he had no fear. He was just doing what he did at school. And he came in and he didn't have any qualms about fulfilling a role. He wasn't shy. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't cons- he didn't come across that way. That's for sure. Um, would that be the same if he came, if a, you know, an 18 year old came into our environment, for example, would they have just stepped up? Would they have been welcomed by the senior players or would they have had to gone through like a rite of passage? You know? Yeah, I um, think they would have been welcomed. Although I, I mean, there's definitely been some history around people coming in and, and actually not not pulling their weight and so actually the players kind of getting you know sorting that out which I quite enjoy the um, yeah. other thing I was thinking was when our, uh, Richard Smith came over from the Crusaders and spent a bit of time in the pathway and I was, I was in England in the 20 session with him and I think Fletch asked him like what have you noticed is different he said uh, our lads all have swagger yeah 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 and then you know, there's that. I think uh, Daniel Coyle talks about that sort of that windshield effect when you when you enter an environment. And I heard Andy Ellis, the former All Black scrum half, being interviewed recently. I think he's got 200 games for the Crusaders. So he came into that environment having been Canterbury B team at under 19s, you know, and third choice scrum half. And uh, the story is that um, he only then Can- Canterbury B were playing. He got a, he got came on. They were playing a warm-up game against the New Zealand under-20s. And he was like a year young or something like that still. So he had one more year. And when he came on, he played really well against England, uh, New Zealand 20s co- uh, team. And so they said, oh, look, next year, bring that guy along. And they, and they said, oh, no, we've got two other better scrum halves than him. And they said, no, bring him along anyway, please. Bring them and bring him along. And, and so when he got into the Crusaders environment and... Um, Justin Marshall was ahead of him, you know, but also you had Sam Whitelock, Kieran Reid, you know, had all these, um, all these, you know, Corey Flynn and, and Wyatt Crockett and all these legends. And so that windshield effect of looking up, this is the standard, this is not only from an IP point of view, but these, these are the behaviours that are accepted. These are the ones that clearly aren't accepted. This is the level of effort that is just a minimal, you know, that's accepted, acceptable. If, if unless you have them, you know, when the guys come in, uh, yeah, they, uh, can you imagine Andy Ellis getting with Swagger with the, with the Justin Marshalls? It just wouldn't happen. I think he just, you know, he was a student down the road at Lincoln or whatever, and he's in Christchurch, and it, it just wouldn't have been sustainable for him. We wouldn't know who he is now. Yeah, I was thinking about, I was actually just thinking about, I know it happened with a couple of players, I know it happened with Charlie Walker. So when he came into the team in. I love that. Japan, I think. Tokyo. Yeah. 
he was um, um, I think uh, Tom Powell took exception to his lack of effort I'm not sure if it was lack of effort or just kind of general levels of fitness I think it, it's become increasingly tough for, for the, especially the way 15s is played for 15s players to transition across to sevens and backwards and forwards so hence the kind of specialists stuff um, yeah he was he was young at the time, wasn't he? But you know what? We did do some good stuff there. At the um, You know, I was thinking about so the stuff. I was using some footage that you had from a head cam. Um, and I was using it as a good example for the guys of um, the comms. So, um, you know, and we themed the days well. You know, some of the stuff, some of the games we played, the competition element. So, you know, I, I still, I don't use a lot of those things, but they're the same principles or values that I try and do most of my training sessions. There's, there's an element of learning in, the, in every training session. There's intensity. There's an element of competition, you know, throughout the whole session almost, you know, um, including the warm-up. So there were, you know, I remember we used to play that going for gold, you know. Do you I remember that? Down, but you know what? I was, I, I never, I wasn't skillful enough to realise that it was the start point of like an awesome game. And so gamification and video game design, so which I'm doing now was, you know, I was doing 10 years ago, going for gold, I just wrote down. He designed yeah, going for gold. It was brilliant. And, and, and also, I mean, I'm a big a fan. I like, um, I watch and, and listen to a lot of uh, podcasts in the US and, and guys like Pete Carroll, the Seattle Seahawks coach, and, you know, some of the other guys who are well known and some who aren't um, coaching at different levels. And Pete, Pete, Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach, is a big one for theming the day, you know, and um, Gina, people might debate whether that should come from the players or from the coaching staff, but. It was, we used to theme the days, you, you know, you, I remember you guys did that well, um, yourself and Ben used to, you know, this is the, this is the, day, the, the, the theme of the day, you know, and that was stuff that I still use today, yeah, it's good. Good, uh, good. So don't be so, don't be hard, so harsh on yourself. No, no, no I would, but I would definitely be significantly better, that's the bit, like, you want to go back and go, oh, yeah. just, you know, oh, come on lads, I could be, oh yeah, so I was lucky, I got to coach, uh, we did a session at Ealing recently and Norts came along. So Dan Norton's obviously kind of contemplating yeah. life after rugby and Norts came along and took part in a gamification session. And it was probably my favourite kind of feedback in a long period of time that he loved it. And he was like, oh, we should train more like this. And I was like, I'm all in because I, I, A, the kids love it, but B, the kind of the really good players love it as well. Yeah. And if you can make it challenging, you know, and, uh, you know, like we said, there's learning, there's competition element and, and all those types of things, Then, it, and it's intense, then most people do enjoy it, don't they? Um, uh, I think that's the, uh, you know, um, a lot of, I remember thinking as a player, uh, when, when we did play games, and this was rarely, uh, and this is, you know, early 2000s, when we did play games in training, I remember thinking, okay, well, when are we stopping and playing, the, doing the proper training now, you, you know? Did you did you ever have that? Experience? No, you were you were clearly more socialised than I was. I was thinking, why aren't we playing games? Why are we doing twelve on fifties? Why are we like jumping up and down and pretending to head the ball? What, what are we doing? Why is why is Jim Blair R.I.P. Jim Blair smoking a cigarette in the gym? Um, why are we just bashing each other at line animals? For, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this isn't that relevant and. I, I think I can count on my fingers how many times we played touch. We were so good at Auckland grids. I mean, we were ridiculous. Yeah. We could do a, like a 20-ball Auckland grid. We'd be juggling them. We'd be... Um, 
I remember thinking, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, 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 you know what my favourite part of the week was? Um, team run. Team run, if I wasn't in the team. Yeah. It was when you became you became like a, a Bob Aaron. You do your own thing. Yeah, until yeah. he told off. And then it was like, yeah. <laughs> they won't do that. You, you, you could, yeah, you, you could do something unpredictable and that would be keeping them on their toes. Yeah, I said it yeah. the next, so I had one a period of time where I wasn't playing much first team and we, we used to train at Lambridge and Bath and we and the B and the B team we called ourselves I mean we were theming, mate. We were Lambridge United. So we were like we had our own changing room. We we had our own bibs. We went out yeah. to clean in our bibs once. I mean you wouldn't get away with that these days, there'd be too many cameras around. Um Yeah. Uh yeah, and that was it. So I remember, um, I think it was Rob Vickerman used to send me videos of the tries, the non-starters scored in training for Yorkshire or Leeds as they were then against the starters. <laughs> yeah. I think Vicks would be ripping it up because they were, you know, playing sevens and, and, and not getting selected for the first team as a result. But just send me like some ridiculous tries from training. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can imagine them doing that. Uh, so yeah, what about your consultancy stuff? What does that look like? What have you been? What's been? Yeah, it's been a bit different. It's been uh, different in all the different places. So I've done a lot of um, sort of work with coaches. So uh, I worked with a few Argentinian Argentinian coaches before the 2015 World Cup for about 15 months. They they wanted to move away from quite a structured sort of rigid 10 man game, and they wanted to play. You know, just develop more of the sort of Vilpera type philosophy. They they didn't really know what they wanted, but they knew they wanted to, you know, utilize their backs more. So that that was interesting. That was not really involving tactical periodization, if you like, but it was more of the unstructured game. Um, you know, you know what it's like. We have to in rugby, we have to put a name to everything. So it, it was it was more of that sort of global way of coaching um, and utilizing some of the space and 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 developing some of the skills and the support and how to support and how to run off the ball. Um, that they hadn't been doing too much of. Um, did a bit with uh, Rebels um, in Melbourne, um, which has been incorporating a few things. So the stuff I've done in the last few years has been, um, and the stuff I'm doing with WRU, or I've been doing the last year, has been around sort of incorporating the unstructured, um, creating a learning environment whilst um, focusing on sort of it within a tactical periodization model. So really helping the individual develop so um and yeah and in the balls as well with with um the time i spent there in um in 2018 the the, the stuff to give you a better idea is 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 it's is gone it's been coaching more implicitly so it's incorporated maybe five or six things it's it's using that the language so it's more towards language as opposed to away from so you know if if you come in at half time elephants don't think of the pink elephants yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, whatever you do, don't drop the ball. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, but, you know, lads, if we're in contact, just keep driving your leg, wait till you see the guy and then look for the, whatever it might be, using the towards language as opposed to the away from. Um, it's about coaching implicitly. So I've, you know, I'll set up scenarios and training. We say a defence versus attack game. I will speak to the defence and, and the attack separately and I'll say to the defence, okay, look, I'm going to give you a point if you can touch them with two hands, this under the waist, two hands under the waist, their side of the game line. Um, you know, and so you're just going to defend for two minutes, they'll keep the ball. So, so that, and that's the only thing I'll do. And, 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 and the behaviour change will be that 
they I haven't mentioned line speed once. I haven't given them an explicit instruction to be quicker off the line, but line speed will have changed. It will be really quick. They'll all be going off the line. And the, the, the eye line, the viewpoint will be under the hips. It'll be two hands under the hips and sort of as we progress the day after or later on in the session to low tackles or, or chop tackles, that will be easier to do because we've already spoken about, I, I haven't spoken explicitly, but I've already got them that behavior change you know, and stuff like that. And then I'll, I'll develop the games from there. So a lot of the stuff has been around how you do that, how you reverse engineer from what you want to get out of the scenario. So then I'll progress that session um, and I'll look at, uh, you know, I'll give them conflicting goals. So I'll say, if you can touch the ball at the breakdown legally, just touch it, don't take it, don't don't mess up the game. They'll, they're going to keep the ball and attack for two minutes. But if you can just touch it, I'll give you a point. Or, you know, the, the, the instruction I just gave them, <clears throat> if you can get their side of the game line. So I've given them conflicting goals. Some people will just go like crazies at the breakdown, you know, and some guys will fly off the line. And then suddenly they've got to strategize and quickly come up with a solution across the team. Okay, the guys don't fly off the line or, or don't just hunt, you know, because he's not giving us that. Um, and then I'll give the attack separate and then I'll score it in real time, you know. So I'll get the attack coach to score it in real time and I'll give them some goals. So I'll say, if you can get the ball two passes away from first receiver, I'll give you a point. Or if you can do a specific play that you're working on or get it to this edge or whatever, or exploit space behind, I'll give you two points. Um, and then when they swap, I'll ask them, you know, what was, how were they scoring points? And, and, and you know, and we'll go from there um, and then sort of develop what we want to and change, maybe change the rules of the breakdown or change the way I'm refereeing it. Um, so a lot of that type of stuff and then working with the individual around that. So given the individual specific, um, so, so, you know, you took, I won't mention any names, but you sort of take a, a say a, a really high performing international um, center and you'd say, you look at their data and you'd say, okay, well, you're still, you haven't really, have you really kicked on apart from athletically, have you really improved in the last three years? You know, and, and you look at, when you look at the data, in training, they're not touching the ball in the same places that they have to make decisions in the game. You know, the stuff I spoke about earlier. So how can we, where do you want to touch the ball? So we'll say, look, if you're going to touch the ball 20 times in training or in a match, then and in 15 of those times, we want it to be in these scenarios because that's where you're most threatening. Can we replicate that in training? And how can we replicate that in training? So getting them more aware, them writing a list of what they need to do, and then working back from that, because I basically um, reflect on, on some really complicated stuff. And as you, as you know, you you meet people and they've got really long ideas about what they're going to do. And I said, you know, to somebody, I said, what's your attack philosophy? And they said, da, 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 da. and I said, okay, well, for me, it's much more simple than that. You want to get your best players, your best attackers against their weakest defenders in a favorable position. So you want to get, the, your best guy against their weakest defender and exploit them. And the more times we can do that, the more likely we are to have line breaks and score. Um, so how can we do that? And sort of working and creating that individual plan for that person and, and about how we can do that. And the more we can do that and then combine it, then in theory, you know, you should be more successful. What skills do you think coaches would need to, to kind of coach like that? Oh, good question. Well, you know, you know what it's like. It's trial and error. Uh, it's it's going to be different with every group. 
so if you go and coach in South Africa, it's um, they, they're used to being told, yes, you know, there might not be um, in general, you know, they might not be used to being asked lots of questions. So obviously you're going to empower the guys. You're going to have to make it, um, you, you know, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. You've got to be really open. It's going to be, uh, it can't be dir directed. It's got to be a question of trying to tap into the knowledge of the individual and in the, in the room. Um, so in terms of the skills, really adaptable, willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to understand what the player likes, what he doesn't like, what he favours, why they do certain things. Um, being open, I think. Um, being willing to, you know, be vulnerable as well. So, well, you know, maybe I don't know what his answers, but let's let's find a solution together. That's that type of thing, you know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. What I mean. I'm loving how structured it turns in South Africa. I know it is anyway. What What are your um? I, I mean, your special your speciality would be, you know, defence breakdowny type stuff. Why is it so structured? So, you're talking about Sean Edwards' decision making and breakdowns, but I'm still hearing language around it's two men in, it's protocols, it's guard A B C D E F G H I. Yeah, you know, there'll be a lot well, of it's interesting. Makes sense to me. Yeah, well, mate, I, I, do, I do, I do, I coach every both areas, the attack and the defence, because for me, you know what it's like, um, and I think we probably had a conversation down the years. When you become a, when you've been doing defence, you're constantly thinking, what's a good attack going to do? How are we vulnerable? <laughs> How are we going to be broken down? So you end up becoming thinking like an attack coach because you're thinking, okay, well, this is where they're going to be really vulnerable. So I think it's natural to do both. I think a lot of the games I play, I don't, I don't try and segregate it as we've spoken about. So it's, it's going to be attack and defence run at the same time. Um, and it's just that obviously then you need to look at, you know, if you're running as an attacking team, then you, you look at what you're looking at for the time being. Um, I think some of the clarity, uh, the, the, the challenge, you know, you've probably seen it on all your travels. The, the challenge is a lot, a lot of players, they want, every player is different. Some want a load of detail. Some only want, they don't even want to think about the game until like as they're running out. Other guys just, you know, the perception, especially in the UK, I think is if you don't have a lot of detail, you're not actually a very good coach. Or if you don't give the guys a lot of detail, you're not actually a very good what coach. What do you think Because I hear it a lot. What do you think it means? Sorry? What do you, uh, think, you, break up? What do you think detail means? I mean, it's a word I hear a lot. Yeah, I, I think I think basically the stuff you were speaking about then about we have a plan for every sort of part of the field. We we go, you know, we're going to go um, plus one in the ruck in, in in outside our twenty-two, and then in our twenty-two we'll just ice it, or we'll do this, or you know, and then we're this, and then when we're there we'll do that. And obviously you just add layer and layer depending on each person's role and body, you know, alignment on the uh, on the man in front of you, and um, you know the shape, detail, and attack and how we square somebody up and we can only do that when we get to a certain edge and you know a percent and they'll give a percentage for the edge that they're going to get to or a part of the field that they're going to get to before you know it there can be just loads and loads and loads of detail you know or loads of information whereas reality is you want that to be uh, you know you when you want a player in the zone you just want that to be implicit don't you you want them just to go oh i just i just i just made that decision so many times i just can feel it's actually the right thing to do to either give the ball here or carry the ball or whatever it might be you know whatever the decision is um nice. what do you think what do you think yeah. around the uh 
the, the, the breakdown. I think people use the word detail quite like it is information. Um, I think people use it as a bit of a crutch. Um, no nine-year-old kid has ever asked me to tell him what label he needs around a breakdown. No one's gone, oh, can you tell me why, what I need to say when I stand here and, and, and sh should I put my right or my left hand up? So um, yeah. and there isn't a need in my view. I think it's a coach's need for things like that. Clearly to have a framework around how you do stuff is useful, but certainly not the certainty of when we get here, we do this, then we do this, then we do that. Yeah. So, you know, I remember oh, yeah. I heard an England coach say, um, what's the, what's the decision-making around this protocol? And I was like, it's a protocol. Like, it's like you've already written it in stone. So there's not much decision-making going on, quite frankly. So, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think language is important. I think uh, having language that helps us make decisions, being really mindful of the unintended consequences, and actually also, like, what transfers to the game. So in training, we shouted, ready, ready, up, more times than I can ever imagine. We never shouted it in a game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just want to help players become really aware of, you know, what to look for, what are the cues in defence, let's say, how deep is the first receiver, who's the first receiver, is the person out there calling for the ball, where's, you know, is yeah. that wing a flat? So yeah. might be I would want to coach, coach that type of stuff. Yeah, and, and I think within that, and yeah, I agree with you, and I think within that as well, it's, it's the stuff that I've been doing is, um, or that I do is, Helping the individual, like us as coaches and, and just as humans, understanding yourself. Uh, you know, we're on that journey. How, how much do I really, am I self-aware? Do I understand myself? So with a player, it's why am I in the team? What, what am I good at? What are my strengths? What, what do I need to do as often as possible to be the best version of myself? You know, so um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a player, I remember doing this, um, you know, as I was an open side and... Um, I, I knew for me to be in the team, th these were my strengths. I wasn't going to be good at carrying the ball. So I, I made like an acronym and it was BOLT, B-O-L-T. And whenever I had a moment in the game or a moment to think about my role or a quiet moment on or off the field, it would be BOLT, you know. And, um, and this was before the days of right, everybody writing stuff on their strapping, you know, but it would just be BOLT. And what it stood for was B was for breakdown. O was outside half. Um, L was link and T was tackle. So I wanted to be, you know, and it wasn't necessarily in that order, but it just made a nice word that I could remember, you know. So it was, okay, um, you know, I want to be the first to the breakdown. I want to be the first to the tackle area. I want to affect change there. I either want to slow it down or I want to win and secure the ball and retain the ball for our team. Outside half, you know, um, I had to fit, fly half didn't work, you know, I had to fit in the order. <laughs> Outside half, the language, but. It was like, does he, you know, does he left foot, right foot? Is he stutter step? Does he go laterally? Does he crab on that foot? Does he, you know, what does that guy do? Um, does he look inside? Does he faint that? Is he, is he really uncomfortable in this scenario? Can I put, you know, push him that way? Um, link, I wanted to be a link player. I wanted to keep the ball alive, keep the movement. And then T, uh, tackle. I wanted to have the highest tackle count in the team. So, you know, and then I added on a hyphen and then up. You know, as the game developed and as I evolved, it wasn't enough just to do that. I had to carry the ball sometimes. The hyphen up was carry the ball up occasionally, you know. But for me, they were the things that I could, okay, I've, I'm not going to be picked for being the biggest guy who runs, you know, and makes those gain line, um, massive gain line tackles necessarily, or um, big line busts, you know. 
but these are the things I'm going to be in the team for. So working with individuals, you say, look, what, what, what is, what are your, what, what word are you going to make from, you know, what, you know, is it you're a decision maker? Is it that you are the key um, driver in the team? Is it, you know, what, what are the things that you need? Um, and then you're constantly thinking about your specific role more than the detail of the team, you know? And I think that's sort of where I agree with you about the detail. It, it gets, can, I don't think it's necessary a lot of the time. Yeah, we, we were on a webinar yesterday with Simon Jones, who coached, uh, he was from Nepal, and then he was the SNC coach with uh, Japan at the World Cup. They wanted to be the best moving team at the World Cup, the best movers, which I love. And they spoke a bit about their, they had prizes, so Ninja Warrior, fam, named after a famous Ninja Warrior, I won't try and pronounce it, um, for their positive action ratio. So, But that was bespoke, so that was, if I'm a prop or I'm a seven or I'm a, and this is how I get points. And yeah, each, yeah. each game they would then award prizes for that. And it would, I guess you would understand what you, what value you bring to the team. It just triggered me actually, some bizarre story to trigger me on. I think in my first ever Prem game for Bath, I touched the ball once. At university, yeah. I probably touched the ball 20 to 30 times a game. And I yeah. just, so, suddenly I went from this to, being playing a way that possibly didn't suit my strengths. Yeah, um, so it was just com completely illogical in a way, isn't it? Yeah, well, it didn't make any sense, and maybe yeah. it was because of the number on my back or because of how I was coached. Or, but I found it really hard to go from I know what my strengths are to actually I'm not bringing my strengths to the game anymore. Yeah, did you go from playing eight at uni or whatever to playing seven? With, uh, with eight and seven at uni, but I would still touch the ball though. So we would leave yeah. play a lot. We would, you know, whereas yeah, so it just became a bit more kind of structured and kick and all that type of stuff went down. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that. It happened a couple of times with playing. I remember play, being playing and not not necessarily getting in that level of team, but going and and going. Okay, no, we don't do that here. We don't offload here, or we don't do that here, and we don't. And I remember thinking. Well, you you just want me to run a specific line, and I'm going to chuck it into the three guys who are all massive, and there's only going to be one result there. It's just completely illogical if you. But if we did this or utilize each of us for our strengths, then we might, you know, change change stuff slightly. I've been in a lot of changing rooms at half time where offloads have been banned because one offload went to group. Yeah, which is yeah. Uh, which is never. I mean, what and, and what are your hopes for the future? What's the stuff that that's on the horizon for you from a I know you're obviously pretty deep into your into your, your normal work at the moment and hand sanitizing yeah. and all that type of stuff. What's the Yeah what's we've been busy for the future? Yeah we've been busy. Yeah I, I'd love to go back to coaching full time. That's uh, that's that's something that I'm looking forward to. Um wherever that might be. It would, um just waiting for you know the right opportunities. Spoke to a couple of people, a couple of clubs last year in the UK. Um, but uh, it just has to be the right right opportunity, I think, in the right environment where, you know, all the things we've spoken about today where people really want to... The, the irony, actually, is that this makes so much more... The way we've spoken about playing and, and, and the ideas makes so much more sense on every level, especially now, post-pandemic, because you, it's entertaining. It's about taking opportunities, it's about, you know, finding space. It's about not just running into people, not just doing the same thing that every other team does. 
um, it's working with the individuals you've got to find a solution that works for them and allows them to utilize their strengths. So, um, yeah, hopefully the right opportunity post sort of this period, you know, with a team who, um, who will want to, you know, say, actually, well, there's something else we can do here. We can, we can play good rugby, winning rugby, but actually we'll put bums on the seats as well and we can, you know, attract people to watch. Nice. And how, how did you enjoy the? So you coached a fair bit around community stuff as well. So Teddington and yeah. this type of. How did you find that? What's the what's the challenges of that? What's the kind of the highs of that? Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. I love it. There's some brilliant guys. Just you know what it's like. You just get everybody. You know, not everybody's a brilliant guy, but you got the guy. You go around the, the country, and it will be there'll be some sort of version that's pretty similar. You'll have a guy who is just the guy that does 80% of everything. <laughs> you know, the guy, he's, he's there on a, on a Saturday morning. Oh, no, we haven't, we haven't marked the pitch, you know? So he's the guy marking the pitch. He's got, he's the guy who runs over to his car and he's got like a spray can of like, you know, and he's also got a drill and, you know, and then you've got another guy. And I, I love that, you know, it's, it's brilliant. Um, guys, the guys keep you honest because it's, they, they actually, um, and it's quite an English thing as well. You know what it's like. And it's, it's a good thing. They don't care who you've coached or how good you think you are. Um, so they keep you honest, you know. So you have to come. You have to have prepared. You have to have done a good set. You have to have... But it's, it's, the challenge is it's got to be fun. It's, it can't be... There's no three-line whip. You've got to be there. They're not being so the reality of the okay? professional game is the players will come back tomorrow, whereas in the community have game, to come back. will come back. Mate, exactly. So the guys are like, you, you could come there and you could be archaic and you go, this is what we're doing. Oh, you're not running, you know. And it just, so every, get, every training session, the reality with Tamesians, who, who I train now, who are coached, they're brilliant guys. The guys, um, all, all honest, hardworking guys, um, mixed variety of talent. Um, so you've got some players who could play national leagues there, but they don't believe they could. It's really it's quite interesting. You've got other guys who, who are quite a, a bit below that, but really, you know, you've got a fast, steep sort of um, learning curve, but they're on it. Um, but yeah, they, every, every session, we only train sort of once a week. So within that, you're trying to incorporate everything. So I try and keep competition even in the warm up. you know, so it gets you innovative. So I'll, I'll try and incorporate, I, I did a version of British Bulldog, but with the scrum halves and they had to hit, they had to, you know, in the warm-up, they had to hit somebody with a pass, you know, and to get them and, and stuff like that. You just always incorporate. Yeah, just always trying to. So he's practicing his passing whilst the others are, you know, doing movement stuff. Um, and just always coming up with to maximize the time, keep it interesting, keep it fun. And then um, and doing everything else. Yeah, mate, I've been lucky with that one because Ollie Smith's come down. Um, so, and, and but Ollie's still having the odd run out, you know. So, uh, and he, he's such a lovely guy as well, humble guy. He just, you know, joins in and he's, he's there. But you know what? You, you, some of the young guys, they, they have no idea who he is. They just, who's this, you know, who's this guy just rocking up here? So this old guy. Um, so that's cool. Um, he's, he's really good to sort of bounce stuff off as well. And um, yeah, so every session is, I try to keep it competitive, quite intense, a bit of learning, a bit of fun enjoyable cool well mate always finish with the one worders i'm gonna hit you with some one worders gonna give me Go one on, answer uh, john mitchell 
Oh, first thing I thought was a legend. Um, Should I give you a proper one? Right. That's, that's, an emotion, that's an emotional response. Uh, humble. Uh, Chris Cracknell. Top, top man, is the, yeah, but uh, hardworking. Diligent. Uh, John Brake. Uh, very similar. Yeah, serious, funny, diligent as well. Funny. Oh, right. he's funny it's not words. Uh, Dan Norton. Fast. Fucking fast. So quick. <laughs> um, who else am I going to go for? Razzy Erasmus. Intelligent. Um, ben Ryan. Interesting. Uh, South Africa. Beautiful. Coaching. Fun. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, actually, so I've got two more. Uh, uh, sevens. Yeah. Uh, I've said interesting already. Yes. Uh, okay. Not... Well, then, then don't do that one, then do 15s. What, what, what are you noticing, 7s and 15s? One, in one word? Uh, no, no, one word. I mean, if, if you did one word for 15s, what would it be? Uh, the complexities. I, oh. I love the, com yeah, if I expanded on that, the complexities, the intricacies, I love the variety. Variety is probably a better word. Nice. And, but not so much of 7s. Yeah, that, I, find, I find that. I find that, um, yeah, not so much in sevens is the polite way of putting it. Oh, mate, that's, that's disappointing. Mate, look, it's been a pleasure. What, uh, what about you on that one? Uh, sevens for you? Uh, I think it's necessary. I think it's something that all kids should have as part of their development. I think they should. It's just a small side of game, really, isn't it? I like the cross-pitch sevens. More touches, more opportunities to make decisions in space. Real spotlight on decision-making and your kind of skill level 15s i agree with you i quite like the i actually love 10s i think 10s is Me the too. best version of the game 15s more tactical but i mean it must be boring if you stood on the wing quite frankly yeah i hear you i hear you yeah i love i love sevens for the same reasons uh for the, the development and all that type of, i think it's a brilliant tool i think more people should do it 10s i played it once in hong kong uh to agree with you 100 percent. i thought this is the way forward. Loved it. Just the, the it got everybody thinking that you could just tweak things. You could go eight in the scrum and just leave two out if you wanted. It just was a brilliant, brilliant way of playing. It was fun. Yeah, Hong Kong tens. Now that's a tough tournament, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for jumping Thanks, on. People want to reach out to you. Are you are you on the Twitter sphere? No, I'm not. I uh, I'm not. I uh, LinkedIn, I suppose, is the best one. Oh, mate, just drop me a message. Very serious. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, yep. No, not on Twitter anymore. Awesome. Well, look, mate, pleasure having you on. We'll, we'll catch Thanks, you buddy. soon. Uh, have well, a great cheers, day. Rusty. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate your time, mate. Go well, bud.